welcome to Talk Is Sheep My Darling podcast. Man, guys, what a time to be alive right now. Um, There's just so much going on in the world. It's overwhelming. It's hard to keep up. Um, It's hard to stay, you know, upbeat all the time with everything that's going on. But um, at the same time, I'm, I'm loving it. I'm loving the challenges that are being brought up to myself, to everyone around us, um, these challenges to the status quo, these challenges to our reality. Um, And it's hard. It's hard because we're forced to be uncomfortable. But I feel myself growing and learning and becoming more aware of what is going on around me, which could cause some anxiety. But at the same time, I'm I feel like as I peel layers back, I'm starting to get to know myself a little more and understand where I stand on stuff. And things are starting to make more sense, just why things are the way they are. But um, anyways, let's get into our episode. I'm excited. I think I'm excited. Actually, I don't know. I'm actually feeling kind of nervous because this was such a hard thing to explain. capitalism and meritocracy is pretty difficult to explain and I did it in as short as I could I could go into much more detail but um for the sake of the episode I kept it as short as I could but um I hope I hope you receive it well so if you follow me on Instagram which most of you do because only my friends listen to my podcast Um, You saw that I just went on a solo road trip, or at least it was mostly solo with my dog. I had my sister join me for like two days, and I had my friend join me for like five days, and the total trip was 16 days, and it was amazing. Um, I drove around in a camper van. I told myself, why don't I do a solo road trip in America in a country I'm familiar with first, and kind of see how that goes and then maybe this will start me doing solo trips out of the country and the trip was absolutely amazing um did I run into challenges absolutely um actually there was this one time that I got pulled over by the one sheriff in the entire town of like 700 people (laughs) me and my friend were driving through this I can't remember the name of the town but we were driving through this town um, on our way to Bend, Oregon from Mount Hood. And I was going like 10 miles over. Anyways, this cop pulls me over. He asks for my ID. He takes it and he brings it back to his car and he runs it. And I'm, I'm already mad. I'm like, really? Seriously? Like, this is so ridiculous. I was going like 10 miles over <laughs> in this big old car. Like, to slow this big van down takes a lot, let me tell you. Anyways, I'm just like, dude, don't ruin our trip. So he comes back and he's like, "Um, yeah, your license is suspended. And it's been suspended for the last five years. I'm like, huh? I looked at him and and I couldn't even have a filter because I was in such shock. And I said, what the fuck? (laughs) And he was like, listen, I don't know either. He said, it says that you uh, failed to appear to court in 2015. And I was like, there's no way because I had just gotten this license because I had a Virginia license 
I just got my California license like six months ago, they would have stopped me from getting a California license if this was the case. I think, right? I, I don't know. It was just super confusing. Um, anyways, it, it was just so annoying. So he like looked at my friend was like, do you have a driver's license? And she's like, yeah. He's like, okay, then y'all just like switch seats, drive off, and then you could switch back when I'm not looking. I could tell homeboy was like, listen, I just wanted to give you a speeding ticket. I didn't want to get into all of this. But um, we ended up, when we got to Bend, Oregon, um, I called DMV once I had cell service. And even the guy who I talked to from the DMV, first of all, had to wait like two hours to talk to anybody. But anyways, homeboy picks up and he was like, dude, what the fuck? I was like, man, that's what I said. And he was like, this should never happen. This is five years ago, whether you this is a thing that happened or didn't happen or somehow somebody accidentally put on your record. He said, it doesn't matter. It's five years ago. It needs to just be dropped. And there's no reason why you should be dealing with it now. And um, anyways, we figured it out. He dropped it off my record, which is good because I, that was the last day I was with my friend. And then I was off on my own from there. So um, I didn't want to run into anything again, but it's just funny. That's like one story out of like the 200 stories I could share. It was, it was (laughs) funny, but you know, if I didn't run into these challenges and these whatever, I feel like I wouldn't have had such a great experience and such an adventure. I, If everything would have gone smooth sailing, I think I would have been like, it would have been an amazing trip, but I wouldn't have came back with some pretty funny stories or some things that I had survived or, you know, memories to be told. I think I appreciate these challenges and roadblocks because it makes the experience what it was. Um, as opposed to if it was just like smooth sailing, then it would have been like, whatever, just a road dip, trip, right? But let's start talking about what I did my research on. You know, with this movement, a lot of things have been, a lot of issues have been arising and people have been paying more attention to some of these movements, um, such as the body positive movement, um, just women empowering women, things like that have been coming up. And when things like this come up, um, it challenges other people's realities. What they had thought their whole life or for a big chunk of their life, they thought that this was normal or this or that was normal. And that is just the way it was. When you challenge their reality, you're going to get some pushback and you're going to get some tension because it's um, uncomfortable for people to face the reality that um, maybe their reality isn't totally real. (laughs) And because of all the fight back that is happening... And um, the defensiveness that people have, I feel like I need to know all my facts. I need to know all the research that was done on this, that, and the fourth to explain to people why I, why their reality might not totally be real. I was like telling my therapist, like I just get so overwhelmed sometimes with my research because I'm constantly, constantly looking stuff up. And she just kind of said, you know, there is no way to know everything. There is absolutely no way to know everything. Do we all want to know everything? Probably. But there is absolutely no way to know everything. And all you could do is try your best to get all the information that you can. And not even all the information. Just get enough information to come up with your thought process. But then continue to be open to what other people have to say because you can't know everything. And maybe they'll know something that you didn't know. 
I'm sharing with you what I do know and what I did gather. And just know that as you go throughout this movement, and I'm trying to tell myself this as well, is that not everybody is gonna know everything and you also don't know everything. So if somebody doesn't know something, don't come at them like, you didn't know da 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 da. You don't know what da 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 is. What is the point of you, of you saying it in that tone? What is the intent? Are you trying to help them become more knowledgeable? Do you, or do you just wanna prove them wrong to make yourself feel better? I think that we all just need to take a step back and relax, take a breather and think about what is our purpose and what we're saying and doing. Is it going to help or is it not going to help? Um, and I need to do that as well, but I digress. Let's get into the actual podcast. Okay, so people think capitalism is free market, individualism, free choice. Not quite white. I was able to find this TED talk where this lady um, explained capitalism and I thought it was really good the way that she explained it. She, her name I cannot pronounce, so I won't say it, but I will add the link to um, the description for this podcast. What she said, well, she's from, I want to say she was from, was she from Russia? Ooh. I'm getting this wrong. I, this was, like I said, I did this research before my trip, which was two weeks ago, almost three weeks now. So anyways, I'll put her information in my description. But um, what she said is that capitalism in America is supposed to be production for profit in private hands, as opposed to, for example, what's happening in China, where they have state capitalism, where the state produces uh, for profit. And it's not owned in private hands. Um, Capitalism America is also different from, uh, say, production in private hands that's not made for profit. So capitalism, when we're talking about capitalism in America, is when the production of goods and services is done for the sake of profit in private hands. So in a market, the principle, as described by Karl Marx, is described as product money, product. For example, a farmer will sell the eggs from his chicken farm, so that's your product, and then he will use the money that he gets from that, so that's the next part is money, he will use that money for to then buy another product, which would be um, food for his family or just more food to continue to feed his chickens so that they could keep making eggs. So in that example, it was product, money, product. It was the eggs are sold, he gets money for the eggs, and then he uses that money to go buy food for his family to survive and to continue feeding his chickens so that they can keep making eggs and so the process will keep going. Um, So in this product, like I said, in that model, money is used for a tool for survival. Now, uh, the way that capitalism has twisted that model is it's, it's turned it the other way around. So they start with the money first, as opposed to the product. So um, theirs is money, product, more money. So you start with money. Um, so this would be like a loan or money to invest. So this is money that you already have. And then you make a product that will help you end up with more money than you had in the beginning. So you have money, product, more money. And that's the capitalist principle or model. I found another article. 
it was called What is Capitalism? And How Does It Affect People? This was by Kim Kelly. From my understanding, capitalism came after feudalism. Feudalism was the, um, where we had like the kings and the queens and the knights and the peasants, you know, the very Games of Thronesy type of vibe. And in feudalism, the poor people would farm in exchange for a place to live and they would have military protection and this, that, and the fourth. And the rulers or the superiors were the kings and queens and it kind of kept that way, right? Because if you were born into this lifestyle, then you just had this privilege. Well, in my eyes, I feel like feudalism never really died. Anyways, they say that capitalism happened after feudalism. Um, and there's a lot that goes into like how capitalism even got started. There was like the, the Black Plague that kind of wiped everybody out. And when that happened, somehow we ended up not having feudalism anymore. Um, and so we reconstructed the way that things were and they called it capitalism. Um, and then there's two major economists that developed theories surrounding capitalism. Once it capitalism started to develop a little more and those two people you probably already know is Adam Smith and Karl Marx. And Adam Smith's theory is that capitalism is a natural human behavior in relation to trade and financial transactions. And Karl Marx's theory, which people call Marxism, says that capitalism is this really shitty system and we should replace it with a better system and that it's pretty much, that capitalism pretty much is powerful people taking control, which to me is feudalism. And that, um, Karl Marx says that workers are dehumanized and then society values profit over people. And he's not wrong. <laughs> Neither of them are wrong. I believe it's both. I think that capitalism is indeed a natural human behavior to a degree. But I think that greedy people and meritocracy can turn capitalism into the powerful people taking control. And people do this with anything. I think that capitalism to an extent... I think that we should have capitalism to an extent, but we should be responsible with it and have limits and regulate it so that it doesn't balloon into this crazy thing. And capitalism also just isn't the same all the time. There's so many different forms and types of capitalism. Like I said with the example of you know China, they have state capitalism where the state pretty much has control over a lot of things that go on, but it's still a type of capitalism. Um, and then there's corporate capitalism, which we also call crony capitalism, which is what we, a lot of people say America has, where um, we have this monopoly power and influence where the rich kind of do take over and they um, try to get their hands into everything. So I see this with airlines because I know we have like four major airlines and um, I think like... Crap, I can't remember my airlines right now because it's been so long that I've had to book anything. But uh, like I think American Airlines also owns United Airlines and it also owns something else. And I know that like Southwest also owns JetBlue and things like that. So we have four, actually really only four major airline companies. And then those four air, major airline companies kind of have their hands in other airlines. And this is why... Um, these airports or the, these airlines don't, they just continue to like cost more money too because there's only four people competing against each other. So anyways, that's kind of like an example of monopoly power where this, you know, American Airlines has its hands in so many other airlines. 
So it's like this one person making all this money. And it's the same thing with, you could see like Facebook. Facebook owns Instagram. So it's getting its hands into everything as well. And it's getting all this money to itself. So anyways, there's crony capitalism. There's the state capitalism in China. There's turbo capitalism, which I don't even understand. There's advanced capitalism. There's so many different kinds of capitalism um, that it's hard to keep track. It's hard to really wrap your head around, but I think crony capitalism is what we're going to focus on because that's what people, and, and myself, I think that's what we have going on in America. Now we have individual capitalists who are typically wealthy people who have a large amount of capital or money and they invest it into businesses and they benefit from that system of capitalism by making increased profits, therefore adding to their own wealth. And then a capitalist nation is dominated by the free market idea. I wouldn't say that we are a free market. I think it just is dominated by that idea. So which is that the economic system in which both prices and production are dictated by supply and demand with limited government intervention. I was watching the news the other day and I saw, I don't know who it was, but the newscaster, the news person was saying that um, the Redskins are finally changing their name. And the news reporter said, let's be real. Let's face it for what it is. The Redskins aren't changing their name out of altruism. They're changing their name out of capitalism. And altruism is the true belief and then the practice of this belief that um, to do things for other people outside of yourself, to put other people, other things before yourself, um, like caring about the well-being of other people before just caring about yourself, the, the well-being of animals before yourself, truly, truly giving a fuck um, and not being selfish. It's pretty much what it is. And so this guy is saying that, the news reporter was saying that the Redskins didn't change their name because they finally get it. And um, they're changing it so that they're not being offensive anymore. They're changing it because the people, their investors, such as Bank of America, which is the only one I could think of off the top of my head right now, Bank of America and a bunch of other corporations that you know invest in the Redskins stadium and then the Redskins said, listen, if you don't change your name, we're going to stop funding you. And then, so they said, okay, 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 we'll change your name. Fine, fuck. And that's just like an example of how things work or capitalism works in America. We create this theme of profit over everything. So people start to act out of, okay, well, if I don't do this thing, then I'm not going to get paid. Or it's this performative, performative care instead of like a true like altruism, like a true care in other people. That's kind of what it's creating. And it's stupid that it even had to come to that, to Bank of America being like, oh, we're not going to invest in you. So unless you change your name, it should have been that they were going to change their name just to do the right fucking thing. (laughs) But I digress. Um, So capitalism is, I, I do believe that capitalism has turned into whatever it's turned into and it's affected us. But I think that another huge part the team member, the co-partner, the the Bonnie to the Bonnie and Clyde of this whole operation is meritocracy. Like capitalism and meritocracy do this teamwork thing together to create this broken system that we have and this broken way of life and this broken culture. So meritocracy from my understanding is 
um, the idea that it is solely the ability and effort of the individual that determines um, their status in life and the what kind of life they will be set up for, what kind of life they will have. It pretty much says that the harder you work will determine your livelihood. No matter what kind of privilege you were born into or the lack of privilege you were born into, if you work really hard and you go to college and you work really hard in college and you get a good college degree, then you can then get a great job that'll pay well and then continue to have this really nice way of living. But I don't agree with this because think about it. If you're born in a family that has more money and you have better materials, your parents then have the choice to put you in a better school, right? So they put you in this private school and you, they pay for it and it gives you this really great education. And then you're able to go into a better college, like an Ivy League school or whatever. And your parents are able to pay for that college also. And so you get into that college and then everything else after that will be a little easier than the person who was not born into money. To say that the kid is born in a low-income community, he goes to a really crappy school, but he puts in all the work in the world, and he works, 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 and he does have the ability, and then he goes off to college. And that's great. He has really great grades, but his grades can only take him so far. He still can't go to an Ivy League school because you have to have letters of recommendations from these highly qualified people, blah, 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 and he just doesn't have that network. So he doesn't go to an Ivy League school. He goes to you know, a, a decent school, but not an Ivy League school. And then he works really hard and then he gets his degree. But then he's going for the same job as that rich kid who got his degree in an Ivy League school. And they're both going to the same job. And it's his application at that basic school and against the other guy's application who was at an Ivy League school. And not only at that Ivy League school did he get that Ivy League degree, he also made Ivy League networking. So he knows people who knows people whose father is this person, that and that and that. Who do you think is going to get the job? Probably the guy who graduated from the Ivy League school. But this idea that our outcomes in life and our success is based off of your ability and your effort that you put into your life. This sets people up to end up blaming themselves for their failures rather than inequality of opportunity in the education system, in the American system. And there's just so many other things that could go into play, other factors, such as money. If your family doesn't have money, um, you're not going to get into the Ivy League school or you're not going to go to the Ivy League school because, um, you know, they don't give out merit scholarships. Ivy League schools don't give out merit scholarships, but... Um, so that they did give out a scholarship, it probably still would be a very expensive school because a lot of scholarships don't cover the full um, tuition of schools. Sometimes it takes like five scholarships to even cover 90% of what it costs to go to college. Um, and there's a bunch of other factors that go into play, but the point is um, it's this whole idea of meritocracy and that it's all on you and how your life ends up turning out and the job that you get later in life as a career is solely dependent on you and if you don't make it to a place where you make a bunch of money and where you are working as a CEO that that's on you and that's a personal failure and it's not on your circumstances. 
And this is the problem with society. I, this is the problem with um, the way we see things in this world, right? So it's not just capitalism to me. It's capitalism and meritocracy. Uh, there's this technique that they teach us in college when we're becoming teachers. Um, it's to give students the illusion that they have options, even though they don't really have options. For example, instead of saying, if you don't do your work, I'm going to call the principal. I would instead say, either you do your work or I call the principal. Which one would you like me to do? Or which one would you like to do? Uh, makes the students feel like they have an option, but they don't really have an option. I just kind of changed the way that I said it. Um, for another example would be, say that students have to do a math assignment and an English assignment. I could tell them, you know, which one would you like to do first? You could do the math assignment first or the English assignment first. And it makes them feel like they have some freedom and choice and options, but ultimately they still have to do both assignments. Um, <laughs> And I relate this to the way that America is. Um, I say America because I can't speak on any other country. But in America, I feel like they kind of use that same technique on us where they're like, you know, you could go to college if you want, but you could also not go to college. You have the option. But not really when a lot of the places that are hiring or all the good jobs say that you have to have at least, you know, a bachelor's degree or at least a master's degree. And I see this always changing like I always wanted to be an occupational therapist and um I it used to be that you could get a master's but they changed it recently to now you have to get a PhD so they're changing you know prerequisites to jobs like that um so I don't really feel like I have an option if I want to have a good job and have a good standard of living I have to go to college even though you're pretending like I don't have an option (laughs) Um, and I feel like this too, with, with workplaces, you know, you have these, this contract, like this is what you're contracted to do. This is your job. These are your contracted hours. You could work that, or you could work harder and do longer. You could work longer than your contracted hours and work harder than what you're contracted to ask to do or asked to do. Um, you have an option to do one or the other, but not really, because if I don't work, my longer than my contracted hours if I don't you know work harder than what the contract asks of me people are going to look at me like I'm lazy or I won't be up for promotion or I won't be able to be you know the lead in this group this that and the fourth like it you don't really have an option (laughs) I found this article that was called is meritocracy making everyone miserable and I found it in um the New Yorker and it's by Louis Mended it was written in 2019. I'm going to read you a part of the article. He said, Almost every study concludes that getting a college degree is worth it. What is known as the college wage premium, so the difference in lifetime earnings between someone with only a high school diploma and someone with a college degree, is now, by one calculation, 168%. For people with an advanced degree, the wage premium is 213%. Of course, the more people who get a college degree, um, about a third of the population now has a bachelor's degree, the greater the penalty for not having one. The decrease in earnings for non-degree holders rises the premium. 
According to a report from Georgetown University Center for Education and the Workforce, enrollment in the, 40, in the 468 best-funded and most selected four-year institutions is 75% white, while enrollment in the 3,250 lowest-funded community colleges and four-year universities is 43% black and Hispanic a pattern of de facto segregation, which mirrors that of the country's public schools. In the 1950s and 60s, the college wage premium was small or non-existent. Americans did not have to go to college to enjoy a middle-class standard of living. And the income of Americans who did get a degree was not so much greater than the income of the average worker. By 1980 though, it was clear that the economy was changing. The middle class was getting hollowed out. It's less advantaged members taking service jobs that reduce their income relative to top earners. The help wanted ads are full of listings for executives or dishwashers, but not much in between, Walter Mundell said at the 1984 Democratic National Convention. Since then, the situations have grown worse. In a survey conducted in 2014, 55% of Americans identified as lower class or working class. And then the article goes on and on, talks about, you know, SAT scores and, and admissions to colleges. It has a whole lot of information in there if you wanted to go on and read. So this system with that has capitalism and meritocracy, and when they're mixed together, it, it kind of creates this winner-takes-all way of life. And then, and then the people who benefit from the system tend to believe that their success is due entirely to brains and hard work and not to how they were born in life or their privileges or to race or to anything that might privilege them. They think it was all on them. And they take a hit. It takes a hit to their ego for us to challenge them and say, you can't think of anything in your life that would have helped you get to where you are at all. Like my dad has a hard time coming to this reality because he was born in a low income lifestyle. Like his mo mother didn't have money. He didn't have a dad. He grew up in the South and they lived in a trailer and they didn't, like I said, they didn't have any wealth. And he did work really hard to get to where he's at. He went, you know, into the the Marines and then he got, you know, this set up and then he came out and he went to college and da da da. But he doesn't think at all that his his race had anything to do with where he's at. Yes, he had things against him, and yes, he worked hard, but if somebody else was in his situation, but they were black, would it be different? Little things like that. I mean, there's, so people think, they grow on this, this meritocracy idea where it's like, well, I've worked really hard to get where I'm at. How dare you say that I've had privilege in my life? But you had. But this meritocracy idea gives us all this belief that we worked hard to get to where we're at. And it's, like I said, it's a shot to their ego to question them otherwise. And so they look down on people that don't have success or a good job and they say, well, you're just not work hard enough. I watched this documentary called Saving Capitalism um, and it's on Netflix. And Saving Capitalism is this 2017 documentary film where they follow former Secretary of Labor and Professor Robert uh, Rich. Um, super amazing. Love this man. Follow him on Instagram and I'm sure you guys do too. He is awesome. Um, but there was this part in this documentary where there's a bunch of adults and they're sitting in a circle and I can't remember where they were at or who these adults were, but Robert Rich was there, the, uh, secretary of labor or former secretary of labor. And a man says to Robert that the system was made to be unfair and it is immortal to its core. So how do we reform something that was always meant to be bad? 
And I really like how Robert responded. He said, there's nothing inherent in an economic system that makes it immoral or moral or good or bad. It depends on how it was organized. And if it's organized for the people, then it could be good and it could be a moral system. So what I'm saying is that, you know, uh, mediocrity and capitalism, I don't believe it's all bad. I just believe it's how it depends on how we organize it and what we do with it. Um, our middle class is shrinking. Uh, the wealth keeps going to the top and more of the middle class is becoming lower class, right? I had mentioned this before. There is a, a part in the documentary, Saving Capitalism, where a farmer uh, is talking and he's explaining how hard his work is. And he says that, you know, the farm income dropped about 50%. And then he continued to say, well, excuse me, but nothing I buy has dropped 50%. And that was really eye-opening to me. Here we have this truly hard-working American. You guys want to talk about meteorocracy? Uh, this job is pretty fucking hard, and he works really hard. But he's getting paid less for the same amount of that hard work that he's doing. And then, with that less pay that he receives, he still has to buy these priced goods for survival. And these priced goods didn't go down, but he's getting paid less. It just doesn't make sense to me. There is something truly wrong in the system. You can't deny it. Because, like I said, not, not only are the prices of the goods the same, I'm pretty sure some of the cost of things have gone up. Um, American economy has said to have increased in the last couple of years, but where did all that money go? Like I said, it went to the top. The rich are getting richer. And this money just um, has gone to the top corporations. And these, these corporations who have the money have then have political control. And so now these one percenters have a bunch of control over politics and us, the rest of us, the 99% have less control over what happens in our politics. And we can see this in pharmaceutical companies. They have a lot of money. Therefore, they have a lot of political power. Um, they tilt the market in their favor. In 2000, in June 2003, the Medicare Modernization Act came up for vote and it was meant to help seniors pay for drugs and it would also stop government intervention with negotiating between manufacturers and pharmaceuticals companies because they wanted to get the government uh, out of it and so they weren't involved. So this act was passed and everybody looked at this as a win towards the free market. Um, but what really happened was the act prevented the government from negotiating cheaper prices for drugs so that when these new drugs hit the scene, people had no choice but to pay the high prices that were set by the drug companies. And so these votes were swayed by corporate money. How do corporations have this much power and get the rules to benefit them? How do these one percenters have so much power and to get these rules to benefit them? Um, they put lots of money into campaigns for government officials and um, these well-funded public relation firms and think tanks and research institutions, they produce these reports that support the views of these corporations and these one percenters. And sometimes they even draft the laws that they won't pay. And then they pay lawyers to defend them in court. And then there's just, and then there's also the cycle of just like bankers and lobbyists that go to be representatives or senators. And then they retire. And then, and then retired representatives or senators turn into lobbyists or bankers. So 
there's just always this continued connection. There was a study done that said if large corporations in America wanted a law passed, that there is a 60% chance that the law will get passed. If there's a law that corporate America doesn't want passed, then it will not be passed. But if majority of American citizens want a bill passed, they have 30% chance that it'll get passed. And if majority of American, American citizens don't want something passed, we also still just have 30% chance that it won't get passed. So I don't know, it just doesn't seem like a fair system where you have to have money in order to have power. Meritocracy and capitalism, it reminds me of like trying to get into a club. If you've never tried to get into a club, I'm sure you've seen it on TV, on some movie where people are waiting in line to get into a club and, you know, people walk out of the club. So then they'll let some more people in because they have capacity or whatever. And then you see these people walk up and they get out of their really nice car and they walk straight up to the front of the line and they hand a bunch of money to the bouncer and they get to walk right in. And all the while the people in line just have to sit and wait. And because they don't have the money, they have to, you know, follow the rules. But the other people, they got to make their own rules. And they get to skip the line and, you know, do whatever they want. And that reminds me of the society we live in. It's unfair. Um, it just doesn't seem right. The belief of meritocracy has failed us. It was meant to get away from social status because the belief is that if we work really hard um, and if we put a lot of effort and if we have the abilities, then we could still be successful um, no matter what our social status is and what our wealth is. But it failed us because that can't be true. If somebody is born with wealth, they already have an upper hand in life than somebody who is not born in wealth because that person in wealth could go pay to have abilities. They could go pay to build their human capital. Human capital is like your your resume of who you are. So, you know, somebody with wealth could go pay to go, you know, learn a sport. So there's something they could add to their human capital. They could pay for their student to go to a good college. So that will add to their human capital. They could pay for their kid to go take a training somewhere and that will add, that'll add to their human capital. But somebody who's not born in wealth can't pay to go do all those things. So meritocracy has failed us, but this society has taken on this meritocracy way of life so that people who are privileged and quote unquote are successful by society standards, they get offended if we tell them that they've had privileges, that they've had things in their lives that have helped them um, take advantage of the system because they adopted this silly belief that their success is due to their hard work. And so they're not able to ever look at what kind of privileges they could possibly have had that, that got them to where they are. And it's created this really competitive world where we all have to compete against each other, right? Because it's all based off of ability and nothing's equal. It's all, you know, winner takes all and the, the losers stay, you know, in the loser bracket. So not everybody could be a winner though. That's, that's, that's real. And if you go to a race, like not everybody could be a winner. There's going to be some winners and then there's going to be some second place people and there's going to be some third place people. But it doesn't mean that those people in the race didn't work as hard as a person that got, you know, first in race. 
But the way that it is in meritocracy, it's that that winner takes everything. And anybody who's not a winner is a loser. That's what society standards has, has given us. So then this is why we have a lot of millennials who are, you know, struggling because we're all in such competition with each other and it's all based off hu- off of human capital. And if we don't have enough human capital to go up against, you know, these other people that went to Ivy League schools, we're not going to get the job. And and then, so say we get like, a, then we get a job. We get a job at McDonald's as opposed to, you know, some bank account job, bank bank accountant job where you'd make more money. So we get a job at McDonald's instead, but then that affects our success because we're not making as much money. And then we feel like a failure and we feel like it's all our fault because that's what meritocracy says. And then this is where, you know, people have, end up having, you know, depression and, and they're, they're just not happy because they think it's all their fault without being able to look at things that happen in life that could have caused them to be where they are. And by winner takes all way of life, I mean, look at it. The one percenters, the like 10 people in the world that have so much money, they have more wealth than some some countries alone. Some of these one percenters solely have more wealth than an entire country, which is so ridiculous. And that's what I mean. Where we're all struggling and we're all in debt because we paid for school, but and now we're going to do these jobs that don't really pay, you know, <laughs> back the these loans that we have to pay back, while these one percenters just like collect all this wealth. That's what I mean. It's just not fair. You should be angry too with the way that this system is. It's just not it's just not set up right. And like I said, the, the capitalism part sucks too because it tells us that that our success and our social status is based off of wealth and human capital and what we can achieve in you know an hour of time as opposed to somebody else. Because if it's not off of, you know, capital, you know, money capital, it's off of human capital. That's how we're always competing with each other on who's better at everything. And, you know, I struggle with this with my job. I worked my ass off to get my college degree in teaching. And I came out to California. And that was also kind of a a whole process as well. You know, turning my Virginia teacher license into a California teaching license was a bitch. I had to take, I'd spent a lot of money on taking these tests that were really hard. I think I had to take like five tests. I had to take one of these tests like four different times because they're so ridiculous and I swore I swear that they're like made so hard and difficult the way they ask the questions so that we purposely fail and have to take it again and pay for it because I had to pay for it every time I had to take it it wasn't like oh you failed this one time you get to take it again no I had to pay for it but anyways I worked my ass off to get to where I'm at and I have this like teaching job and I don't get paid a lot but trust I work my ass off every day for my students and because think about it's like 13 students and I'm trying to get their lives on track it's hard enough for me to get my life on track but getting 13 other kids you know young adults on their lives on track yeah I'm, I'm busy and I'm working hard and I feel like I don't get the same respect that some of my friends get who make more money because in meritocracy it tells us that you know the more money you have must mean that you're a harder worker and if you're a harder worker, then you're a value of, in this world. All of that together, meritocracy and capitalism tell you that 
If you're a hard worker and if you have a lot of money, then you are of value in the world. Um, I'm a hard worker, but I don't have a lot of wealth. So therefore, I still don't fit that mold of earning respect from some people. And I can't imagine like some of my students who are special needs who don't have the ability to work hard because the way that their minds work, they can't process things as quick as other people can. So they aren't hard workers in other people's eyes, but they're hard workers to themselves. They work to their own ability, but it's not enough. And then they're not able to get, you know, some of my students don't have high school diplomas. So then they have a job, you know, at McDonald's. So they're not looked at as hard workers because relative, because they are working to their ability, but to their ability isn't working hard in society's eyes. And then they're not making a lot of money. So then they are, you know, super low on the social status. So it's just, it's an unfair world. And it really upsets me when people of privilege cannot jump out of their bubble and just look at what what they allow them, themselves to fall into, what kind of trap or whatever, whatever kind of, you know, psychosis they've let themselves fall into to make them think that, they haven't had privilege at all in their life and that they completely deserve all the things that they've given or all the things that they have and all the money that they have. It's just, I don't know. In the recent years, it's come up a lot on how little girls are taught at a very young age what they should be doing as a woman and what their gender role is, even with their toys and their playtime. You know, little girls grow up with babies and, you know, you know, little baby toys and they're, that's society pretty much training them and teaching them that they're going to be mothers and they're, they're supposed to be mothers when they grow up. And little girls are also given, you know, little kitchenette sets where we pretend to cook and clean. And that's society teaching us at a very young age that that's what a woman is supposed to do. She's supposed to cook and clean. Um... Well, let's talk about why the the government really wants schools to go back into session and why a lot of people want kids to go back to school, even though we're in the middle of a pandemic. Well, the way that schools are is they train students to be really hard workers. And they're training these little humans to start working on their human capital now. And they overwork them in schools and they teach them to work, work, work all the time so that they could have stamina so that when they become adults, they will have, you know, the stamina to continuously work over their contracted time and work more than their contracted hours. And I see this as true 100%. This is what Malcolm said in his book. He mentioned this and I agree with it. I agree that because children used to work. But um, they eventually got rid of child labor. So they just, you know, what are they going to do with kids now? If, um, if they're not going to work anymore for money, what are we going to have them do? Well, they have them go to schools. And they make them work and train on being adults. That's what school is. You're, you're putting your kid into school and they're working. They are working whether you believe it or not. They are working for free to build their stamina so that when they become adults, they will be hard workers and ready to go for this capitalist society. And that's why the world right now is like, we need to have our kids in school 
for a bunch of reasons. They want kids in school because parents need babysitters. And the government wants the kids to go back to school because they're going to need these kids eventually in the future to continue on with this capitalist society where what's good is working your ass off. And what's bad is having rest time and having leisure time. And if you are going to have leisure time and rest time, you better work hard for it. So you better work, work, work and get that PTO time built up and money saved up so that you could go pay to have time off and pay to enjoy life. You know, I, I really don't know where I stand yet about kids going back to school. I'm indifferent about it because I do miss my students and I do... Because my job is different than just like in the classroom, mine's, you know, getting these young adults uh, on their feet, um, 18 to 22 year olds. And so I, I really miss them and I want to make sure that they're okay. So I want to go back to work because of that. And like I said, I only have 13 students, so it would be pretty easy to self, um, or sorry, social distance. But I'm thinking about like the other teachers who have 32 students who every year they just add more students to their, their, you know, their class load. 32 students, it's going to be really hard to social distance. It's going to be hard to keep them safe. And it's going to be hard for the teachers to stay safe. You know, teachers every year get sick like five times a year just because we're around, you know, kids that don't wash their hands and they're sneezing and, you know, they're just kids. And so we get sick all the time. But now there's this pandemic. There's this actual, you know, deadly virus out there and teachers could get it. And we're putting our lives at risk. But there's no respect for that. No, no, because teachers, being a teacher is not a real job because we don't make a lot of money. But I bet you if you paid us the same that you paid military, people would start respecting us a little differently. And I just want to bring up a point real quick about education because people are using, you know, that as an excuse as well as why we need to push for going back into schools that, you know, kids are going to get behind on their education and the rich kids are just going to further that education gap um, from like low-income students as if that wasn't already an issue. But while that might be true, I think that it would be okay to take a couple of months to slow down the education. I think that that geometry lesson that they aren't going to quite understand through virtual learning will be okay. I think the stuff that we are teaching them that they end up not using in their real life will be okay slowing that down. I think we'll be fine. What we can't stop is people dying right now because of resources, you know, lack of resources and from not really knowing what this virus can do to people. Um, I know that, you know, my husband got coronavirus and he fought it pretty well. It was just like a flu. It was not a big deal, but that's my experience with it. I don't know other people's experiences. You know, I've heard stories, though, of other people, you know, dying from it and coronavirus taking over their body differently. And I know that in schools, we have a lot of people with different body types, different health issues. And so we don't know what would happen. You know, we have a lot of older members in our staff and they're immune compromised. and And I wonder what would happen to them. You know, Let's say it for what it is. People could blame it. Let's say like we need, our kids are going to get behind on education. Don't you care about kids' education? I really just care about human beings and their well-being. So um, 
yeah, I think education could wait if, you know, just say it for what it is. You guys want us to help the economy go back up so we could, you want us to babysit the kids so that parents could go back to work and our economy could go back up. Sure. I'm sure that's important as well, but you know, I think life is more important than economy, but, um, if that's what we need to do, then that's fine, but you need to fund schools appropriately so that we could keep everyone safe. So we that we could have the right materials, so that we could have the right, you know, kind of space, so that we could have the right um, disinfectants, whatever it is that we need to keep people safe, we need the funding for that. So, um, you know, if they want us to help with the economy, then they need to fund us better. And then they need to keep the funding that way. <laughs> after the pandemic, because we should have had that funding anyways, because schools are underfunded as it is. But um, anyways, I digress. I didn't mean to go on a rant. I could go, I could talk about everything I talked about in this episode. I could spend forever going into depth about it, but I don't have the time. Um, I just, to me, the most important things right now is we need to start changing what the norm is in our society. We need to stop putting profit over people money over people. We need to stop competing with each other and comparing each other and trying to be better than one another. Um, I think we need to start treating all each, everybody equally because we are all human beings. We're all, you know, I believe in God and we're all God's children. And so we're all the same, no matter how much money we have, how many materials we have, what kind of education we have. We're all human beings. We're all his children and we all should treat each other as such. And we should treat each other with respect and we need to take care of each other. Um, and another important part is we need to put good people into office, no matter what their label is, whether it's Republican, Democrat, liberals, socialists, whatever label you want to put them. If they're good people and they're for the people and they're for good policies, then that's who we need to put in office. Um and then sometimes we don't have the option. Like right now, we don't really have the option of good people to put in office. But you know, what's the lesser evil? Like I said, this is not about left versus right or any labels. I know Republicans that want the same things that I like. And I know Democrats that like some of the same things that I like. I don't think it matters the label. Um, and honestly, that's not what this is all about. This movement, this revolution, it's not what it's about. I think it's about putting the right people with true intentions into office. You are going to keep doing the hard work so that our voices are heard and that the power goes back into the people's hands and not in corporations. Well, that's a wrap to my show. I know that was probably a lot to take in, but all really good and important stuff. And now that we know kind of what capitalism is and how it affects us, um, I'm really excited to go into how it relates to our identity and how we identify ourselves and define ourselves for next episode. Um, I really appreciate all you guys for listening. I appreciate it so much. Um, I guess I'll catch you guys later. <laughs>